It's been a long time since I've actually um, thought about this group, but uh, some of you may remember uh, some time ago there was a musical group called For Him, and they sang a song from the perspective of, of Joseph, uh, the father of Jesus. Uh, uh, the song was from his perspective, and the chorus of that song really, um, I know that before, and it still continues to capture my imagination, because I think that it, it expresses in, in, in so clearly uh, the wonder of the Christmas story, and this is some of the words that he, that that song uh, from from the musical group, I always have a hard time saying that because it's, the name of the group is For Him, um, but here's what some of the words are for that. This, the words are, why me? Again, from the perspective of Joseph, the father of Jesus. I'm just a simple man of trade, and then why him? With all the rulers in the world, why here, inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one, and then he says, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. It's such a strange way to save the world, and somehow... That group, uh, when when for him put that song out, it just really, it just captured my imagination because I think it really expressed so clearly my my own sense of uh, you know, uh, well that 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 very wonder that uh, you know it's, it's is this not a strange way to save the world? Well, you know the story; it's not a new story. I suppose one of the things that it is that is uh, most true about this particular season of the year is that you can you can almost guess what's going to be said in church today, almost any church, anywhere, any place, because it's going to have something to do with this old old story. It's very familiar, and yet for me it just strikes me as strange when you think about it. And it comes on the heels of four hundred years of silence. It's been four centuries since God has spoken in a way that men had any kind of an opportunity to hear. And, and in Luke's version, the story opens with a, with, a, with a temple scene. And we find Zachariah, Zachariah the priest, probably the one and only time that he will have in his entire life to serve inside that inner center of the temple. And he's a part of a course of priests to serve regularly at the temple grounds, but there were so many priests in those days that, that the odds of you actually being the person to walk inside the temple itself into the Holy of Holies were pretty slim. And on this particular day, he went in and he was offering incense before the Lord. And when an angel appeared to him and announced that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a child, now they were old, the Bible doesn't say how old, it just says that well along in years, and, and he questioned God, and, and as a result of that, he was made mute. And I just find that to be really an interesting con- connection there, that you know, you got 400 years of silence, and then when Zechariah steps in, out, out of the temple grounds with this, this enormous news, this incredible news, that he's about to, to have a son who will be the one who announces the coming of the of the Messiah, all of a sudden he can't say anything. Doesn't that kind of seem strange to you? More silence. And quite frankly, I think it's a strange way. Strange way to save the world. 
It's in Luke chapter 1, if you want to pick it up some bits and pieces of that story. I invite you to open up to that, Luke chapter 1. This, uh, this is the announcement that the angel makes to Zechariah about his son to be John. And of course, we know him, or we'll know him as John the Baptist. And in verse 14 of Luke chapter 1, Here's what it says of John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's a strange way, if you ask me, to save the world. I mean, Joseph's just a carpenter. He's not particularly a a man of means. He's He's a common laborer has his own carpenter shop, hard to know how old he is, probably as a, as a young adult, maybe 30 years old or so. He's engaged, you know, uh, to a young woman by the name of Mary. Now, I, I say that with kind of a, uh, a bit of tongue-in-cheek. A young woman was probably 13 or 14 years old when she was engaged to be married. It's probably a prearranged marriage. He probably has actually very little knowledge of who she is other than maybe some family acquaintances. He knows her to be a good girl. Certainly his parents would not have picked someone who wasn't. And you know the story. It's such an odd story. And if you put yourself in either Mary or Joseph's shoes, surely you find yourself struggling just a little bit. They're engaged to be married. They have maintained this righteous relationship between the two of them, and, and one day Mary has this announcement to make to Joseph, her, her beloved, soon-to-be husband, by the way, I'm pregnant. Oh, I've never known a man. I haven't slept with anybody else, but, but as a matter of fact, I am pregnant. I, I'm sure that Joseph found that pretty easy to believe. I mean... You know, I, I, I can see Mary. Can't you, can't you just see Mary saying over Joseph's protest, no, no, really, it's true. I, I, I know it's never happened before in the history of the world, but, but honestly, I mean, I, I'm having a baby because God has sent an angel to tell me so. Okay, Carpenter Joseph, deal with that, right? You, you know, it's just, to me, it's just such a strange way to save the world, to send... Salvation through a 13-year-old unmarried girl. But I ask you, is that not what the announcement said? You'll find it right here in Luke's Gospel, chapter, chapter 1. If you want to flip your pages over to Luke chapter 1, verse number 31. The angel says this, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. If you want Matthew's version, which really is from the perspective of the father, Joseph, back over in chapter 1 of Matthew, Joseph wrestling with the news, you can just uh, tell it in the way that the text is written. He's, he's just struggling with this information. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. It's a strange way to save the world. And the story goes by so quickly when we tell it today. I mean, it, it doesn't take a long time to sit down and to read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 and 2. In fact, we could tell the story in just a few minutes. But it took nine months to have the baby back then, just like it takes nine months to have a baby today. And, and, and after Mary had gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is carrying Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, she comes back three months later, and, well, three months on a 13-year-old pregnant girl, and she's beginning to look pregnant. It's a small town. She's wandering the streets of an un... She's wandering... Uh, the streets as an unmarried, pregnant teenager. I mean, how do you suppose people are talking? What do you suppose that they're saying about Joseph? I mean, you can, <laughs> you can hear his story down at the coffee shop, can't you? I mean, when, when he, he goes down with the boys, you know, he hears them rustling in, in the side office over there talking about the, talking about the pregnant girl. Oh, it's not mine. I mean, she's, she's pregnant by God. I mean, I, I didn't do it. I mean, yeah, they, they would believe that just like you would. And so for nine months they lived with a chagrin, unable to ever prove that this is anything other than an ordinary birth. To me, that is a strange way to save the world. Eight, eight days after the birth of Jesus, when it's time to go to the temple grounds, you know the experience, they take baby Jesus... They go to the temple and there they run into an old prophet and prophetess, Simeon and Anna. Anna, who is mentioned second in, in Luke, tells everybody that this is the righteousness of Israel. Simeon, the old man who has at some point earlier in his life heard God basically say to him, you know, you're going to see the Messiah before you will come to the end of your life. You're going you're to see the Messiah before you die. When Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple grounds to, to offer their doves as a sacrifice of cleansing and of rejoicing, that's when they run into Simeon. And in chapter 2 
of the book of Luke, here are the words that Simeon speaks. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's a strange way. It's a strange announcement to make to a mother who we are reminded pondered these things in her heart all of her life. Well, you know the rest of the story. He grows up to be a young boy. They take him to the temple grounds. He has some conversations. He, he then goes silent for about 18 more years. We don't see anything about, uh, about him until one day he shows up in order to be baptized by John the Baptist and he begins this process of, of saving the world. He, he chooses a, a dozen men to follow him, a strange lot at that, a fisherman or two, a tax collector, a trader, a zealot. He spends three years trying to train this motley group of, 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 of men to be people who will change the world. And of course, as you know, by the time that he gets done with his training, he comes to the place that he himself has to die. Unless we forget that Christmas ends at Easter, we're reminded by one of those fishermen that he called to follow him for three years, we're reminded by his own words this statement. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit to bring you to God. It's a strange way to save the world. To send a baby to become a man only to turn around and to die. And yet, it just seems that God often does His best work in strange ways. Well, there's some, some things that I think come out of this Christmas story that, that, that probably we ought to at least be, be reminded of as we go through these next couple of days to prepare to celebrate the birth of this one who came as, as Emmanuel, God with us, who came as Jesus, the one sent to the save the world. That's what we've been talking about all month, this idea of Emmanuel, this, this Christmas presence that's there. But I want to just submit to you a couple of things about this, this, uh, this child who came to us as Emmanuel. And the first thing that I would say is this, that he came to a real place. This one, sent, this one sent to the world came to us. He came to a real place at the right time. He came to a real place at the right time. It's, it, sometimes I think we forget that this really is a true story. It really did happen at a place and a, and a time in history. It did occur over there in, in Israel some 2,000 years ago. And when Paul was reflecting on this a few years after the event, this is what he said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. He said, but when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time was fully come, 
He came to a real place and, and it was at the right time. I mean, oh, the, the, the real place was as real as any barn that you've ever been in, complete with manger and stock and hay and, oh, all that other stuff that you have memories of if you've ever been around barns. A real place. Towns like Bethlehem, Nazareth, places like Egypt. And I, 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 I suppose if you were going to use words for them, it, if, you, if you never thought to put words on this journey... When they showed up in Bethlehem, they were strangers. When they went to Egypt, they were refugees. When they came home, he was just a common laborer in a carpenter shop. A real place at the right time. When the time had fully come. This, This was the time of the Roman occupation. And it doesn't sound like a particularly good time unless you understand that Roman occupation, it actually meant free travel for anyone who wanted to go anywhere. It meant road systems that had been developed in order for Roman armies to get from one place to another quickly. It was an era when the language was common to them all and when Greek and Aramaic had, had spread widely to every part of the corners of the country, it was a time and it was a place when the Septuagint, the, which, is, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, it, it, it was a time when the Septuagint had been placed into the hands of people so that they could actually read, all of them could read the story of God's work among His people. It was a time when the synagogues had developed uh, coming out of the Babylonian captivity so that, they, so that there were, were places all over the country for teaching and preaching to occur. It was a time when God had been silent for so long that people were, were just dying to hear a voice. It was the right time for a Messiah. But not only did He come to a real place at a right time. He came to a real people for the right reason. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, in a passing remark, the Apostle Paul makes about himself, uh, in this remark that he makes about himself, he says this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. See, he came to a real people. He came to a 13-year-old girl and a 30-year-old man. He came and he walked among fishermen and he spent time with prostitutes. He ate at the table of those who were self-righteous. He spent time with the oppressed and the broken and the needy. He fed the hungry and he healed the hurting. And he came to bring salvation. Contrary to what most people thought the Messiah might bring, contrary to maybe what what most people even wanted, he brought what they really needed, and that was a fresh relationship with God. He came to bring salvation. See, that's why they called him Jesus, because he would save their people from their sins. 
they were looking for some kind of a, some sort of a release from the oppression that, and he was looking to release them of the greatest oppression of all, and that was a broken relationship with God. To, to give life that, that is bigger than life. He came to a real place at the right time. He came to a real people for the right reason. But then he became a real person with the right message. Now we've mentioned this here recently. I, you probably hear me say it all the time, but John, in a sense, has, really doesn't have a Christmas story well, not, I mean, not in the sense, in the traditional sense that we usually think of Christmas stories. John's Christmas story sounds a, a lot like this from John chapter 1, verse 14. And you should have this verse memorized by now. But the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 as well. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. But I I think that my favorite part of John's Christmas text is back in verse number 12, which says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The privilege, the opportunity the power to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, the big word for, in, 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 for John is the incarnation. We talked about that last week. God became flesh and set His tent up among us. He tabernacled among us, uh, technically it says, that he, he came and He lived with us. He, he became flesh and, and lived with us. He, he became a real person with, with, with flesh and, and, and with blood. He knew what it meant to be hungry. and He knew what it meant to be tired. He, he knew what it was to grieve and to ache and to, to rejoice and to eat and to laugh and to mourn. He knew what it was to be tempted He knew what it was to be you. He knew what that meant. He knew what it was like to to lose loved ones, to to walk uh, through pain, to to share in in grief, uh, to rejoice at birthdays, to to be elated at births, and to cry at funerals. And and he came with the right message. He, 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 in essence, said, this is... This is what God is like. That's the message he had. Here's what God is like. He's kind. He's, he's just. He's, he's gracious. It's just such a really strange way to save the world. But I remain convinced that God does some of his best work in strange ways. Uh, Paul's statement, you heard it, I read it. Um, Here is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to draw men and women to himself. There, 
There, there was a baby born so that God himself could come to us, so that we ourselves could come back to him. It's a strange way to save the world. To say to, to sinful humans like you and me, that if you really want to know God, you have to pass through the, well, you have to believe in the one who came through a pregnant teenager. You, you have to believe in, in one who allowed himself to be put to death rather than use his power to stop people from killing him. You've got to believe in the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you, for my burden is easy. It was to those that John said, who received him, to them he, it's to those that, it's to those, John said, who received him, to those he, he gave the right to become sons of God, children of God. He puts you in a position. He's given you a privilege of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, which gives you an opportunity to know God personally as his own son, as his own daughter. And you know what? That's the message that, that you get every week in the, in the church. The, the, it's really the Christmas story. It's the, the, this idea, this understanding that God became flesh and he dwelt among us that we might know God. He came so that you and I would come to him. He came as Emmanuel. And I think that that's really what Christmas is all about. We, we, I, you know, we filled it with lots of stuff that frankly is not nearly as important as what he has to offer us. His presence in our lives. His gift of salvation. His being in our lives, Emmanuel. And whether we're just starting the journey of faith or, or whether we've been on that journey for a number of years, he continues to offer himself to us that we might know him, that we might grow even closer to him each and every day because he is, in fact, our Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Father, I know that this time of year is a great time for us to, as, as Christians and, and maybe, as I said before, we, we each have our own um, some of us have been on this journey for a long time and some of us for maybe a short time but what a great opportunity for us to reach out and to say you know what maybe for the first time to say I want to make you Lord and Master of my life what an opportunity for us at this Christmas time to be reminded of who you really are and to say you know what I've been struggling with some things even in my own life and, and I want to use this time to to come back to you because you're always there. What an opportunity for us to say, you know what, there's more that I can be. Um, I sometimes forget what it means to be uh, in that relationship with Jesus. And what an opportunity for us to be able to say today, I want Jesus to be with me each and every step of the way. And Father, I just pray for all of us during this Christmas time that, that we would make those decisions that really make it um, make our lives a priority uh, for 
for God, that we would, we would step aside um, from our own, um, that we wouldn't be in the way of our own, uh, of ourselves, I guess, and, and just uh, that we would let you reign in, our, in each of our lives. Father, help that to be our priority, that we would make you a priority in everything that we do and say, everything that we, we are about. Remind us, God, that you entered into our world, put on flesh as an ordinary, uh, ordinary person, and you came to us and you died for each of us. Remind us of how significant that is. Convict us of that and help us to celebrate that throughout this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.